All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Psalm 130, that's where we'll be this morning. Psalm 130. We'll finish up the Ascension Psalms today, have some communion, and enjoy this beautiful sunny day that the Lord has made. Today, after second service, we'll be having our camp meeting for Calvary Kids Camp. Those of you who signed up, uh, we need you to be here for that. We'll start at 1230 here in the sanctuary, and we'll talk about our assignments and and, uh, go over some of the things we'll be doing there and kind of get us thinking in that direction. So today at 1230, after second service, we'll be having the camp meeting here in the sanctuary. We've got uh, a couple baptisms coming up eventually. Uh, July 23rd is our first one, and then after camp... Uh, we'll have one at the pool on August 6th. So you've got two opportunities to get baptized. If you've never been baptized um, and you want to get water baptized, it's a, it's a great time to do that. Um, we'd, love to, we'd love to be a, a part of that, uh, that work that God's done in your life. So let me know if you want to get baptized one of those two days. All right, I think that's it for announcements. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the praise we began to sing. In fact, that's exactly how we're going to end the service. This is how we're going to, uh, that's what you gave me in the, in, the, in the study time, Lord, that we should be a people who are um, always praying, but always praising as well. And uh, it's interesting that you put that on JC's heart too. And, and so we know that's your spirit. And so as we see these last five uh, Psalms of the Ascent, um, we pray that you'd help us to understand them and, and to be encouraged by them, especially uh, 131. It just seems to be very, uh, very fatherly of you to give that psalm to us, and we, we thank you for it. So I pray for peace and comfort and knowledge and understanding, and, and uh, we just pray that you have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we finish up these psalms of ascent, songs that people would sing on their way to Jerusalem for the feasts, um, they get smaller and more simple, and, uh, as it should be. Everything that's been said has been said. I feel like that often. <laughs> here I come, Lord, again. In fact, I think I've written songs about it. You know, here I am again, Lord, in the same position, same place, same problems maybe. They're recurring, and I don't know what else to say about them. But I know where to go with them, and so here I am sitting here, but I don't know what else can be said that hasn't been said already. You know my heart. And I think that's reflected in these last five psalms. I think we can see um, just the surrender that's taken place, a little complaining maybe, or a little at least acknowledging the problems that have been going on, and God, would you hear me? Would you be strong on my behalf? Would you intervene? Would you do... And as you settle into God's arms, as you settle into that place, which is why he wants them to come to Jerusalem, I want you to be close to me. I want you to be intimate with me. They begin to settle down and have that peace wash over them that only God can give. That's what we want this morning for all of us. All of us want that. So in Psalm 130 here, waiting for the redemption of the Lord, because that is our hope, There's a lot of work to be done on ourselves, a lot of work to be done in this world, a lot of ministry, serving, helping, a lot of celebration too. It's not always just, you know, serving. There's a lot of times to enjoy and have those moments. But our ultimate redemption, our ultimate peace, the ultimate time when we don't ever have to come to God with those prayers anymore is when we're redeemed, when we're taken home to be with the Lord. And in the meantime, we wait. 
Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I'm very grateful that he wrote that verse 4. We, we read all the time and know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and this is not a difficult thing to understand or comprehend, although it is a little mysterious. I mean, there's some depth to it. What do you mean the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Well, the first thing you need to know is God could whoop you if you wanted to. Well, yeah, that's a good fear to have. It's true. You know, I mean, I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to sin against him. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God's judgment. So that's true. Is that it? <laughs> you know, am I a cowering child in the corner? You know, afraid to move for making a mistake? Or is there more to it? And obviously there is. Verse 4 explains a little bit further. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I don't know what's fearful about forgiveness, and I don't know if that's probably the right way to word it, but I'll give you an example maybe, but maybe not a great one. But um, you see in TV shows all the time and in movies where one person of a love interest between two people says, I love you too soon, you know. And the other person's like, I like you too. And the other person's like, that was, wish I hadn't said that, you know. It's hard for us. I think about visitors when they come to a church full of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and have the love of God in them. And they start loving on people they've just met. And I wonder how that other person feels sometimes. Like, that's a little too close for comfort. I'm not ready to commit to this relationship yet kind of thing. And when God ministers his love to us, I think a lot of times we still have that idea, you know. Well, I sure like you. I mean, I appreciate everything you've given me and the, the place you've made and how you've made me and all. I, I do, you know. But am I ready to commit to that kind of love back to you, you know. It's a little interesting when a creator of the universe that's so big, as we're taught, and is so majestic and is so powerful, looks down and says, I, I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. That's a fearful thing to step into a relationship like that, maybe. I don't know if this is a great analogy of this text or not. It certainly is true for me, though. I feel that way sometimes. I'm overwhelmed by his forgiveness. I'm overwhelmed by his love for me. I'm overwhelmed. Not all the time. I don't walk around in this constant, you know, jaw-dropping moment. I don't. But that does wash over me sometimes to where I don't know what to do with those emotions, that kind of love that he has for me. When I get a brief glimpse and understanding of that, it isn't all the time. But when I get that, it's like, I don't know what to do with all that. I don't know how to respond. You know, I've got a few words I can give you. We even sang songs about it. I think everybody struggles with this. I know it's not enough. I know it's not much. It's what I have. You know, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. It's a big thing for the psalmist to be forgiven by God. It's a big thing for him to understand that God looks upon him as if he's never sinned. It's a big thing to him. It's important to him, you know. 
I know my kids try to interact with me in different ways, and sometimes I feel guilty about it. They don't know they're doing it, but I know they're doing it. I've been maybe distant for a while, or I've been out working, and I'm thinking about things and talking about things with Jenny, and they're listening to what I'm talking about, and they so desperately want to have some interaction with me, they'll participate in what I'm talking about with Jenny, you know which is fine, and that's adulting. You know, you're learning how to be an adult, and you're learning how to have conversations and all. But that isn't what they want to talk about. They just want to talk to me, and in order to talk to me, that's what they have to talk about. You see what I mean? And I can sense that. You you don't want to talk about real estate. I know you don't. You don't even know what it means or care about it, you know. Yeah, but you're talking about it. You're interested, and I'm interested too. You just try try to get in there, you know, and be a part of it. Otherwise, I feel left out. I feel like an outsider, you know. And so you, as an adult, as a parent, you're like, oh, yeah. I'd leave that at the, in the car, you know. There's no business coming in here kind of thing. When I feel that love that God has for me and that forgiveness he has for me and I see him looking at me, I, I don't know that I know what to say sometimes. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As they walk towards Jerusalem or in the city or maybe even in the temple at this point, singing this song of ascension, they begin to think about what's happening. I'm able to draw near to God, a God who's holy, a God who's perfect, a God who uh, knows that I'm not. I mean, I know Genesis. I know chapter 3. I know what happened. I know how we're distant and separate ourselves from him. I know how we died spiritually and have a, we don't walk in the cool of the day anymore. And yet here we are walking with the Lord closer and closer. And so they begin to talk about what's happening and why. They don't take it for granted. They don't expect God to show up in their lives. They say, it's unbelievable that I'm able to even come into your presence, God. It's because of your mercy. It's because of your abundant redemption. It's, abu- it's, a, it's from your redemption from all of our iniquities, not just some of them. And that's encouraging. That's what he's trying to do here. That's what all five of these Psalms are going to be, is encouraging people to, you can relax now in the presence of the Lord. You can rest you know, you don't have to be uncomfortable or feel awkward. <laughs> if I could get that in my head and to not feel awkward in the presence of God, I just, I don't want to be that way. And he doesn't want me that way. Nobody wants that. You know, you don't have to be awkward. I, it's my idea. I want to redeem you. It's my idea. I want to give mercy. I want to give forgiveness. It's my idea. It's me. You're, you didn't talk me into it. God says to us. I have abundant forgiveness for you, abundant mercy for you. You can relax. You don't have to be awkward. John read this last night at the concert, and it's a great psalm. It's the psalm that kind of uh, um, puts the parentheses around the ministry breaking chains. It's Psalm 107. We've, we've studied it. Verses 10 through 15. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the mighty, of the mighty, of the most high. 
Therefore he brought down their heart with labor, and they fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness, the shadow of death, and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God broke the chains so that you could be with him, so that you weren't separated from him, so that you weren't bound by your iniquities and your sins. I want to set you free from these things. I don't want you to be forever bound, you know. And so the psalmist here just recognizes the beauty of that. Now, as he moves from this psalm to Psalm 131, it's a very simple psalm. I remember learning it early, early in my walk with the Lord. It says, Lord, that's the, that's the big name of the Lord, not just like his title, but his name. My heart is not haughty or proud. My eyes lofty. They're not lofty. They're not arrogant. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor do things too profound for me or too difficult for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. There's no better place to be. You know, sometimes we get a little sappy or a little uh, soft when we talk. Oh, I just love to crawl into my daddy's arms or into his lap and just hold him. And that's okay for some people to say, but as a grown man, I feel kind of funny saying those things. You know, I don't want to be like a little child climbing up into my daddy's lap, you know. But I do understand this word picture, though. I understand what he's saying. I've raised some kids. I know what it's like when you're moving them onto solid foods when you're not doing the bottle anymore, which is a wonderful tool, by the way. I know it's sustenance, but it's a tool for a parent because, boy, they quiet down because just the sucking motion itself is enough. That's why we have pacifiers, you know, because it pacifies. And a weaned child doesn't have that anymore. At least you don't want to encourage that anymore. You want to move them to solid foods so that you're not feeding them every 30 minutes. You know, they need something a little more substantial. But that's a difficult time for a child and for the parents because they have to persevere and be diligent and the kid has to just kind of get through it and you have to work on them until they get to that place. So you do other things to comfort them. You do let them sit on your lap. You do read them books and you get close to them. They need to still feel the closeness. That should never end. The bottle is there, and they are naturally close to you because you're holding the bottle. But even if the bottle's not there, that closeness should never end. That should always be there. No matter how old I get, 53 years old, and getting older every year. Funny how that works. God still comforts me. He knows how to do it. He knows a a word to say, or a word to give me, or... a moment, like I have talked about many times, walking by myself out there and from the chicken coop back to the house or whatever it is. He gives me those moments, not like a baby, but like an adult child needs to hear from a, a father, you know. And it does. It's very calming. I don't know what the conversation was about at our house. It was something. All the kids were there. It was probably on, over July 4th, I think, when everybody was there and... and uh, 
I said something, you know, just, we were all just joking around and it was flipping. I said, well, I'm done raising you. I'm, I'm moving, you know, you're on your own now. You got to figure it out. And, and Seth looks at me and goes, you're done raising me. Was a little, he was joking around too. He goes, what do you mean you're done? <laughs> I've got a lot, to, a lot more to go here, you know, kind of thing. You still have things to show me and teach me. And I got to thinking about that deep, deeper than I probably needed to. I got to thinking, what good is it if I raise him up to that point and I don't finish well with my walk with the Lord? It's like everything else I've ever done for them is like nullified. So I've, I'm not done till I'm dead, you know? I've got to finish this walk with Jesus Christ and I have to do it well. So with, at my funeral, whatever they have for me, the dumping of ashes in the ditch, I don't know what they're going to do. That's what I've told them to do, but they'll probably won't, you know? I want them to know and, 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 and remember back. I, not, never say, well, he did really good till he was 54, you know. And after that, he went downhill. And I'm not sure I believe anything he ever said, you know, kind of thing. You got to finish well. So the raising never ends. And, and no matter how old you are in the Lord, it's just the comfort and peace that he offers us and gives us. And still, it isn't something we outgrow. He's not done raising us, you know. He's still helping us. And the psalmist recognizes that. Lord, my heart is not haughty. My eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. There's a, there's a place there where he's like, you know, I don't have to be burdened by everything. Not everything is resting upon me. Not everything is within my control. Not every, I can't do everything I think should be done in this world. The, the new movie that came out about child trafficking. What an overwhelming thing to think about. They talk about a $170 billion industry that it is and, and all these things. And, and the amount of people that are involved as far as the victims are and, then the, and, the, and the perpetrators and the, and the dealers and, and all these things. And you think about the scope and the magnitude and the, and the heartache and the brokenness and the sin involved. And it's just overwhelming. You know. What do you do? Well, you give somebody money, someplace to go get somebody, you know, just, I don't even know where to start, but we do. You know, I, I still believe that churches all across America are, are the front line for every single problem in the world. I think it is the front line. I think everything else outside of the church are half measures. It's already happened. The sin has been committed. We go out and either have a great police force, which we support you know, 100% for them to at least catch the bad guy that did it. But we have to keep going. If we want to stop it, if we want to have a, a lasting impact, we have to go all the way back to the soul of the person and minister salvation through Jesus Christ. That is, that's the solution the other thing else is half measures. Prison is a half measure. Enforcement is a half measure. You know, Rescue, all these things. Counseling, all these things are half measures. Sorry, gigantic dog. A mastiff, it looks like. About 4,000 pounds. Okay. <laughs> Distraction, I apologize. This is the most important thing I can do is to talk to the people. Here's the thing. There isn't, I don't think, a person caught doing a crime 
whose family or friends don't get on TV and say, this is so unlike them. They were such a nice people. They were such nice people. I, I just can't believe it, the neighbors would say, you know. Well, that means in this room, because I wouldn't think any of you folks would do any of those things, in this room, in my neighborhood, in the people that I interact with on a daily basis who have put on the face that they need to put on to conceal the, the double life that they're leading, I'm interacting with people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I'm looking at the facade I'm looking at the mask and I'm thinking, well, they're okay. They don't need it. I'm looking for the guy in the ditch. I'm looking at the guy in the cardboard box. I'm looking at the guy who's in prison behind bars already. But we've got to be talking about Jesus to everybody we meet because everybody needs him. And we don't know who is thinking or planning or doing what. All that to say, the Psalm 131 is, I don't know that I can take on and stop human trafficking worldwide, but I can minister to my neighbor the gospel of Jesus Christ, my friend, uh, my coworker, um, whoever, that I, can, that I have some control over, what I say and who I interact with, that I can do. I may never know the implications or the fruit that came from me being obedient to the Holy Spirit and sharing with that one person. I have no idea what I stopped by being obedient, by them coming to know the Lord, the path that they were going to go on or headed down already. You see what I mean? I can rest in this psalm. I don't have to worry about the, the huge issue, although it's good to be aware I don't have to feel like it's out of control. I know what I can do. And if everybody in the church is doing that, you know, then there's a great effect on this world. We begin to push back against darkness, and we do it right here in our small sphere of influence. The sphere that God has given me to minister in, to serve in. Psalm 132. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to, to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. They remember that. He was afflicted with that. I can't sleep until I have... A house built for the Lord. And he, I don't know if you know the story. I'll read a little bit of it to you. I, don't, I can't read the entire Second Samuel chapter 7. That's where it is. That's well worth reading after church today. Just sit down and read that wonderful interaction between God, the prophet, and David about building God a house. I want to find a resting place. At the time, David had the tent, the tabernacle. And he desperately said, I'm living in a permanent house. I want God to have a permanent house. I want to build him a temple, something substantial. I want a, a location, a place, a, a permanent place for him to rest, you know, as, a, as opposed to this tent thing. And in the interaction, God says, you know, I, I understand your heart and, and all, David, but uh, I've never asked for that. I don't want that. That's not something, and that's not something you can do. You're a man of blood. You've got issues. You've got problems. I don't want you doing this for me. 
I understand your heart, and I love you, and I told you I would do all the things I'm going to do for you, and he's going to get into that here a little bit later on in this psalm also. But you can't build me a house. The one after you can build me a house. Your son, Solomon, he'll be able to build me a house. Your offspring will be able to build me a house. I got to thinking about that. And, and it's, it's kind of a deep thought. I don't know that I've completed it yet or worked it all out, but it, there's so much I want to do for the Lord, and, and, and really a lot of the things I think should be happening here on earth right now, well, this is just, this is tent city down here. Abraham understood it, everybody under, I'm looking for a house that's built not with man's hands, you know, one that's built by the Lord. And that's why the new Jerusalem comes down. That's the location, that's the temple, that's the place. That's something I build. Only Jesus can build the house. We just read that last week. Unless the Lord builds the house of those who labor, labor in vain. God's the one that's going to do it. David, a, a child of yours, a grandchild, a great, 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 great grandchild of yours is going to be the one to build my house for me, but it's not going to be a temple. It's going to be much better than that. I understand your heart, but for now, the tent serves its purpose as a picture. It's all of it. This is temporary, you know. But Jesus is going to go and prepare a place for us. And he's going to take us to that place. And that's going to be the place where we dwell. That's the house he's going to build. That's where we worship him night and day. And we can rest in that. It is a little tenty down here. A little temporary. A little not as grand as I thought it should be for the Lord, you know. Verse 6, behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You, the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For you serve David's sake, or for your servant David's sake, excuse me. Do not turn away the face of your anointed. We're going to worship you right here, right now. There is a time when we're going to worship night and day. And I try to explain that to my 11-year-old son and the little kids, you know, because honestly, when we talk about these things with them, I, and, even, and even us, I think if we were realistic about it, it's like you get this picture of a white sterile operating room where we're all in white robes and we're just singing constantly. And honestly, for little kids, that's about the hardest time for them to sit through, you know. It's like, when can we go play? When can we get out of this, you know? We have a dinner table. You know, and that family dinners, we got to sit there. We sit there till we're done. And then when we're done, then we go do what we're going to do. And there's this constant, the little kids are just like, oh. I had no idea people could talk so much, you know, just stop talking. And I understand that. They just want to move and, and run and all that. Heaven is not that. He's described it for us. If we look a little deeper, if we read all the passages about it, there are rivers, there are fish, there are trees with lots of different kinds of fruit. All the animals are back, you know. Everything that was before is now is, and there they all are. We actually get to ride on horses with Jesus and come back with him. I mean, there's some fun activities. Talk about camp, you know. It's an eternity of camp with God as, as, our, as our camp counselor oh my goodness so be encouraged in that how'd i get off on that well it's just going to be really great you know 
I'm looking forward to it. My hope is in that. I'm waiting for that. Not for the activities, although that's great. I don't know what kind of crafts we're going to have, but might be a lot of pipe cleaners up there. I don't know. And glue. It's going to be amazing. It's not going to be boring at all, you know? That love that you have for them is going to have that. It's going to be that kind of love that you had for your parents or for someone else in your life. Maybe your parents didn't, you didn't have that emotion towards them necessarily, but that overwhelming sense of love, you know, it's just going to be like that all the time. I'm ready now. Verse 11, the Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. There's some promises there. I was reading Job in my quiet time. That's a hard quiet time. (laughs) And I was so thankful that I don't have Job's problems that I texted all the kids in our group text that we have for the Dirks and Warners and Saldanias now um, about how I'm so grateful that I don't have Job's problems who knows at the feast that all the family members, all the kids would go and have feasts together and, and they would invite their sisters to the feast and, and Job was so worked up about it that he would offer sacrifices after the feast in case their children, his children, had cursed the Lord in their hearts. That's what he was worried about. I don't know, I don't know how they celebrated. He wasn't invited. He wasn't there. So they didn't want righteous Job there. They wanted to be alone, you know, to do whatever they were doing. I don't know what they were doing, but that does explain a lot as to why God's bless, or Job's blessing at the end of the book was greater than his current blessing. His new kids, his new family, you know, maybe they walk with the Lord a little better. There's a promise there that God offers to David, if you're gonna, if you obey me, your kids are gonna sit on the same throne you sat on, a throne of righteousness, a throne of, of peace, of of closeness with me. And if they and if they do what they're supposed to do, their kids may sit on the throne too and have that relationship that you have with me. And that can go on generations. It's all dependent upon whether they're gonna they're gonna walk with the Lord or not. Or, or you know, it, it isn't automatic. They have to choose it. I choose it. So far, my kids have chosen it. And so far, their kids are at least being trained to choose it, showing the benefits of it. We could have three generations. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, that's a song they would sing about that. Encouragement on their way to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. It was hard. I debated. Should I go to the conference? Should I go to the, to the getaway? Should I leave my work? I was right in the middle of a deal, but I know that God requires me to go at least three times. And the, should, I, should I take that long walk or whatever? This is encouragement to these folks. You're not missing out on economic opportunity by presenting yourself to the Lord. It's a good thing. Your kids are seeing it. They're walking with you. You're training them to, to go to the Lord. And their kids are now, and now your adult kids are walking with you to Jerusalem, and they've got their little kids with you. And now it's a big, big family group thing, you know? How fun. And all of a sudden, it's turned into this sweet vacation. I don't know how long it took them to walk there. Camping out. Now it's hard for the parents, I'm sure, but the kids had a ball. Seeing all their cousins. 
You think about Jesus when he got lost. Not really lost, but they lost track of where Jesus was. They didn't even know he was missing because the group they were traveling with was so big, they just assumed he was with the cousins at that fire or the cousins that had to sleep over in that tent or whatever. You know, And they fa- hey, we don't have our son. We lost our 12-year-old. You know, He's back in the city. These are big things. I try to flesh these things out in my mind what that would look like. It reminds me of... Some of the times we've had at our house, you know, with everybody there. It's so fun. Verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon him his crown shall flourish. They are finishing the picture. The tent was walking around in the wilderness, wandering, but God's presence was with them no matter where they went. Then they finally crossed over the Jordan, and settled in a land and found the the place. And the Jerusalem was built and the temple was placed there. And the people are flooding in from all across the world through the gates. You get the picture. It's revelation. You know, everybody's coming into the city. Beautiful picture. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like a precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, Uh, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edges of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, oil running down our face is kind of weird for us. It's not something we think about. Imagine you're in the shower, though, and the the water is coming down. You're like, oh, this feels so good after being with the cows or whatever it is. You're coming working or whatever. That's the idea. So refreshing. The unity is what I wanted to focus on here. We, I do need to kind of pick up the pace here. I apologize. The unity is very important. Not unity for unity's sake. It's, it, there's a unity in the Spirit he's talking about. That's what the oil represents. The anointing of the Holy Spirit upon a believer's life. That an oil running down Aaron's. You're anointed by God to serve him. That oil represents the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaks by the Spirit of God by the Spirit of God, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's the unity. The unity in the Spirit. Not the unity is the absence of conflict, you know, that kind of peace that the world offers. The world has its own definition of unity, and it isn't accurate. This is God's definition of unity. I want brethren, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to dwell together in unity. And here's what they'll say. They will never say Jesus is accursed or that he's not relevant or he's not for today or that he could be replaced with another religion. And they can only say that Jesus is Lord, and that's by the Holy Spirit, so he has to be Lord of their life. That's, that's the unity God's looking for. Ephesians chapter 4 is the other chapter that speaks of this specifically. Verses 2 through 4, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds or the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. He wants the brethren to dwell together as they worship Jesus in unity. That's the unity. Later on in that same chapter, 11 through 14, 
And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, and it goes on. We're endeavoring to keep that unity. We're striving. We're learning about the Lord, the unity of the faith. And then finally, our last psalm, really short, nice one. Behold, look, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. We're to be a people that prays without ceasing, but we should also be a people that praises without ceasing, I believe. So he's telling them, praise the Lord. And uh, that's where we close today. We'll have our communion now. A time where we celebrate what Christ has done and has done just what the psalmist were singing, made a way for us to come into his presence, made a way for us to be close to him. The communion that we celebrate, the little piece of bread and the little cup represent the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Jesus, which allows us to draw near to the Lord, to give us grace, to give us mercy, forgiveness of sins so that we can be in his presence. The robe of righteousness, that's all from the moment of the cross. He took all of our iniquities, past, present, and future, and placed them on the cross and took the penalty that we each deserve for every one of them, for each and every one of them. Thank you. And he wants us to rest in that. It's a little fearful is the idea. He loves us that much. That while we were still his enemies, that he died on the cross for our sins. He chose the cross. Not after we loved him, not after we chose him, not when we begged for help, but before we even knew we needed it. He went to the cross. And afterwards we accepted it. He showed us love first. He said, I love you first. If this morning you haven't said that to him, you know of him, you like his character, you like some of the things about him, but you've never made a commitment to him, you've never fallen back in love with him like he's fallen in love with you, today's the day for that. I can only tell you so many times how much he cares for you. You have to feel that. You have to experience that yourself. You have to know that in your heart. Whatever the world showed you, whatever the people in your life have showed you, it's not even comparable to the love that God has for you. The love maybe that you felt towards others at times, in an overwhelming sense, that might be as close as you'll get to knowing how he feels about you all the time. His thoughts towards you, he tells us in his word, are precious and as the sands of the sea. He wrote this love letter to you that you hold in your hand, this book that we get to reread and reread and go over. Underline, circle, and memorize parts of it, you know. He wants to make sure that there's no doubt in our minds how he feels. I think a lot of times with relationships, people don't commit to new relationships because they've been hurt in the past by old relationships. And they're not so sure they can trust the new one. And I'm sure that's the case a lot of times. There's always a trust issue. 
Well, God has made sure that he's never broken your trust. All he can do is promise in the future that he'll never break your trust either. He's going to continue this faithfulness because he can't do anything other than be faithful. He can't do anything other than be honest and truthful with you. He can't be anything other than loving to you. God is love, he says about himself. I'll never leave you or forsake you, he says, ever. That's his word. That's his promise. And he's never done anything to tell us otherwise. If we have any problem with anything he's ever said, it's because of us. I encourage you to trust him this morning, to love him back, to give him your whole heart, to entrust him with your whole heart and know that he will never, ever hurt you. Lord, we thank you this morning for this time. We hold in our hands the representation of your I love you to us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this morning we do. By eating and drinking this, we acknowledge that. We're saying I love you back. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your love. We receive your mercy. Now we only hope to endeavor to give you back as much love as we can give you, as much devotion and faithfulness as we can give you back, to be as trustworthy as you are to us, God. That's our heart. We pray for help in that area. Help us to be ever mindful of your presence and to be ever mindful of our relationship with you and how important it is. It's the only one that matters. It's the only one that helps us with all our other relationships. So God, we love you this morning. We thank you for what you've done for us. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your mercy and your grace. And we place in your hands our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. Lord, I pray that you bless these folks as they leave today. I pray that you would be with them the rest of this week and um, show up in different areas and different ways that they might recognize and, and see you that they'd listen to your spirit when you tell them to speak or to share or to love on someone that needs it and that we'd be obedient and not be too busy, but that we would move and trust that uh, it may be out of the way, it may be off schedule, but it's what you want for us. And since we're, we're with you, we want to do what you want us to do. So Lord, help us to be obedient and, 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 and then reap the benefits of that, the, the, the fruit that comes from that obedience. We pray that we change lives, the lives we can change around us. Help us to impact those around us with your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.